So tell us when you're ready, Gary. I have, we, it's been a while since we did this. <laughs> you just say hi. I know. So <laughs> I'm Christy Grainer. No, you got to say, say hi. hi. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> She's going to put this in the podcast, too. I know, I know. That's great. <laughs> All right. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to season three of the Dare to Believe podcast. I'm Christy Grainer. And I'm Rebecca Rivnick. Can you believe we're in season three, Rebecca? Yes. You can. Only because I've had some time to think about yeah, it. Yeah, and you've been editing all the podcasts, <laughs> so you true. know. That's true. But we're glad you're here, and we do want to challenge you to dare to believe God for greater things in this season of your life. So we're here today with Bill Vanderbush, and we're so we're so blessed to have you here. I'm blessed to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Bill comes up from Florida, but he's not Bless scared of Minnesota you. snow. No, I grew up in Minnesota, so I, I I remember the cold, but I've thought out. So I was in the 50s uh, yesterday in Florida, yeah. and I had my scarf on. You're in my up in office, North so. Florida, though, right? What's that? You're in Central Florida. Well, yeah, we're we're in uh, we're in Orlando. We're in a little town called Celebration, which is a town that Disney built Disney about 25 town, yeah. years ago. You know so about you're familiar with it? I, I am. Yeah. It is. I would say it's it's kind of a combination of uh, if if the Truman Show and Thomas Kincaid got together and had a kid, that'd be Celebration. That is a perfect description of Celebration. Exactly. Every time I walk outside, I I feel like somebody's about to say and action. It feels like a movie set. You know? That feels real. Cue yeah. the cue the dog. Cue the deer. You know. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's what Florida people think of celebration, for sure. That's exactly right. They like living it's, there. It's beautiful. I do. I love it. It's an incredible place. Yeah, yeah it's an amazing place filled with uh, filled with really idealistic people, dreamers. Mm. You know, people come there for one of a couple of reasons. I think most people come there because they they like Disney, and so they mm-hmm. sort of have this you know sense of anything's possible. The the upside of that is that they're problem uh, solvers, not problem makers. Mm. So they're very solution uh, solutionaries. I would call them. And then uh, the other the other part is the people that will come to the happiest place on earth if they've got like a cloud of depression over them and they feel like it's their last ditch effort to somehow find find happiness. Right. And so we have coming to us uh, people who who are hurting. Sure. And they move there because they're hurting and they're looking to fix it. And so in the shadow of the magic kingdom we introduced them to the kingdom of god but we you know we we have a lot of disney uh leaders employees cast members and executives that that attend the church and are a part of the community and so the things that are happening in disney world that are just glorifying of the lord are really remarkable there's seventy-five thousand employees it's a city oh yeah so uh, but god's moving there it's really it's that incredible. is awesome you I, know that's interesting because some people are christians are afraid of disney yeah, yeah. so <laughs> how, how, how do you how do you speak to someone oh i'm all for the boycotts yeah i say boycott all day because it keeps the lines down for the rest of us <laughs> that was great <laughs> I, I actually i love disney and disney is so powerful and influential uh-huh. so and there's so much there like Good wins in Disney films. There's been it's been a little darker lately, but good wins. Yeah, good wins. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you, you know what's going to happen at the end of a Disney film. Oh, good oh, always yeah, wins. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. That's true, and right. and uh, and actually, you know, if you have the eyes to see and ears to hear, uh, you, you know, you'll always find what you're looking for. And if you're looking, 
if you're looking for the Lord to be glorified, there's a lot of opportunities for the gospel to, to be preached as a parallel to some of the things that you see in, in the, both the parks, in some of the attractions, and some of the films. And so we're, we're always looking you know, for those kind of things. For example, here's a good example, uh, the new fireworks show uh, in the Magic Kingdom. It's called Happily Ever After, and the fireworks show has always kind of been the big deal at the end of the day, right? And the last few shows have been very much exalting of the villains or the dark, dark side of things, you know, and in the end, good overcomes. And this new one has very little of, of that darkness in it at all. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, um, um, I know of the person who, who created the show, and uh, it speaks tons to identity, and the whole thing centers around the line from The Lion King where Simba's father essentially says, you know, you are more than what you've become. Remember who you are. Come on. So you oh, get that's to the, a good oh, word it's, in itself. It's amazing. So we've had many, uh, many heroes of mine that come down, uh, heroes of faith that I just love running with, who come down and we'll visit Disney and we'll take them to that show. And you just feel, I mean, if you're looking for it and you sense in really what's going on, you feel the anointing on it. You come off of it and you're like, wow, my goodness. There's a sense of a surge of identity. Like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm rethinking. Uh, maybe dropping lies that I believed and grabbing a hold of the truth of who God says that I am. Because so much of what's spoken in that parallels declarations and promises of God over your life that if you see it from that angle, um, and if, if parents can teach their kids, hey, do you remember in the Bible where it says something like that? You know, mm-hmm. Then you begin to realize uh, there's, there's, a, there's a tremendous lesson on identity in there. Yeah. Well, and Jesus used metaphor and parables, totally. and it's, so he taught like that. Mm-hmm. And so it is a powerful communication tool, and why should we let the enemy take credit for all that and run right. with it? We, we need to be releasing the truth of who God is yeah. using that metaphor, because people get metaphoric understanding, especially of spiritual things. I think the power of God has the ability to redeem just about everything, you know, yeah. and the creativity of, of, the creativity of Walt Disney oh, you know, yeah. was, was a gift. Yeah. from God and you you can see it you can feel it yeah. you know and and uh, and so I it's a, it is an honor to be there and we pastor at uh, technically the world's only Disney church because the Disney family gave the money for the land and the Disney company oh, contributed wow. to the building seriously and so so it is known as the Disney church and um, Disney doesn't recognize it and says, hey, that's our church. That's not the way that but works. But the Disney family gave the money for the church. did. It's in Celebration? Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Right in the really heart cool. of downtown Celebration. So we have every week we have tons of visitors that come in because it's the Disney church. And right. so we can reach the world from one pulpit, which is fascinating. Thank uh, you, I like, Lord. I like doing that. You know, I love Disney stuff. And it's, it's interesting because I was born in Southern California a long time ago. <laughs> and my parents were – Disney was being kind of – I mean, Disneyland was just mm-hmm. starting to be a thing. Um, my parents have original Disney stock. My dad was an artist, so he has he has some of those cellophanes from original Disney movies. That's and amazing. Yeah, it, it, and my my family just grabbed onto Disney as there's something really good here. Um, and I I don't know I I I'm kind of ambivalent to Disney, uh-huh. but it's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just with my parents now in the later years of their life, twilight of their years. You know, it's that Disney's still going. It's still stirring up. And now there's how many there's how many Disney's are there? There's California. There's Florida. There's oh, more than that. No, right? I don't even Europe know. Europe and Asia. Yeah. There's a couple in yeah. China. And, yeah, and, and it's all uh, Disney. France and yeah, yep. crazy. Yeah. So it's it is. I mean, it is a. I'm I'm glad it's been created. It, to me, it should have been rep- that kind of concept of a place where families can go to make that kind of memory. 
um, those kind of memories that can tell stories. I mean, the, the art of story. You know, yeah. God is the master storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, of of the ages and made in His image and likeness. We we tell stories, right? And we live in story. And uh, a dear friend of mine says, you know, the shortest distance between the head and the heart is a story. And so when oh, Jesus sat good. down and talked, he taught in parables, and told stories. And I think we, we I mean, we just we have we have to have more people connected with the heart of God who who learn the value of, of mm-hmm. parables and telling right. stories again. Right. So. Amen to that. And if it creates worlds, you know, words create worlds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and if it creates worlds that, uh, that, that reflect the nature and the heart, the character, and the kingdom of God, then amen to yeah. all of that. So. Well, and I love that imagination is such a big part of Disney and the imagineering and all that stuff that they mm-hmm. do because God gave us an imagination and we need not to be afraid of this God-given gift. It's not something – we had a discussion earlier that there's only one creator God. Right. So the creator God gave us an imagination. So to shut down our imagination and be afraid to use it is – Shutting down something very powerful that the Lord put in us because He right. wanted to talk to us through our imagination. Now, I'll say so, the imagination is it's it's the limitless canvas upon which a limitless God can create. Hmm. Say that again. It's the it's a it's a boundaryless existence. It's a limitless canvas, and children have uh, they don't have to be taught to have an imagination. They just do. You know, there's there's no there's no limits. There's nothing's impossible. You know, in the imagination, and so. Over the course of time, it gets twisted, warped, right. limited, mm-hmm. and 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 we we lose that ability to dream, mm-hmm. and uh, and yet it, to become like a child is the the Jesus uh, imparted requirement to even see the kingdom of God. Yeah, it, it's returning to that limitless, boundaryless canvas, and you know what do you want to do with that? It's like so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, that's cool. Well, we we love having you up here, and we love listening to you teach about the the Word of God and the the Kingdom of God and and what what's going on in in the world as the Lord connects people. You have had such an interesting journey. I mean, I think I've just heard a little bit of it, and it's it's fascinating. So you grew up in Minnesota. I did. Grew up as a as a missionary's kid, evangelist missionary's kid here in Minnesota. My dad had a radio ministry up here um, for, oh, goodness, 35-plus years, going wow. on 40 years now. And uh, he passed away six years ago, and I just carried the radio broadcast on. And uh, we, we actually thought about shutting it down. Never thought you know it would continue this long. But it's uh, it's built and keeps being supported. So as long as it keeps being supported, we just we just keep, keep it going. Keep going with it. Wow. And it keeps us connected with uh, with the community up here. It was a really important part of of my growing up. It was it was where my dad was born and raised, and it was a it, part. What, what town was that? He was born and raised in Holland, Holland, which is in Minnesota. the southwest corner, tiny little town in the southwest corner of the state. And um, uh, as a matter of fact, we we just went back last summer to Holland, and we found in the cemetery, which I had never seen this in all all the years I've been in the area. We just never went out. You know, you just don't it's go to the cemetery. Not like you just go to the cemetery and look around. Yeah. We went out and found the the uh, grave of my great grandfather, oh. and uh, and it has. I kid you not. I wish I could show you a picture of it. It has etched into the granite or marble or whatever it is. It has a castle that bears a striking resemblance 
to a Cinderella castle in Disney World. And it says underneath of it, thy kingdom come. Yeah, I just think wow. that's kind of fun. That's it's really like, fun. So, that is you know, very cool. I don't know if that was you know, prophetic well, for the day. Well, sure. <laughs> back, well, it's prophetic, then, and it's so. also a generational inheritance that your family line carries something good yeah. regarding the kingdom of God. It's po- not just good, very powerful yeah. that you can release and teach. And you, you, what you do, come you come by because of the blessings of generations before you. Yeah, I, I, I feel like even though I was never raised on a farm, the farming community is really important to me, and I can't really explain that. It's kind of like if you ever visit a place once and you feel like you're home. Yeah, um, that's that's kind of the way it is for me in farm country out here. I feel like, you know, I I don't know how to. I can't grow any. I can't grow anything. I just it's not a grace or a gift on my life. But I feel a connection to it, and a desire to see it grow and thrive. And so, my dad had uh, a reputation of being known as the cow barn preacher. Uh, the so cow barn the cow preacher. preacher. He had a radio broadcast, and a farmer in Ruthton, Minnesota, accepted Christ listening to it. And then uh, he he felt like he was supposed to have a meeting in his barn, a revival, but he didn't know where to go to find help. So he went to his friends at the bar, and they got help. And the man's name is Richard DeRyder. He's a dear friend, dear brother. And, Lifelong. So that's probably where uh, Jesus would have gone. He would have just gotten gone to the people, bar, get him right? out of the bar, pick him out of the bar. We're going to get stuff done, <laughs> yeah, right? So, this is great. so Richard goes to the bar and he grabs his friends and says, "We're going to have a revival." Nobody knows what that means, and so they don't have a sound system. They don't know about a worship team or anything. They just know they need to get a preacher, somebody to share the gospel. And so, uh, Rich calls my dad, and Dad comes over. Well, he was only twenty miles away from where Dad and we were all living at the time. And I remember, I think it was, I was in the sixth grade at the time. And so dad throws us in the back of the, the Chevy and we're heading down the dirt road to go to this, what dad thought was just a prayer meeting or a Bible study or something. Some farmers want to, you know, hear about, the, hear about the Lord. And so he's just going to go talk to him. And about so it. this guy who held the prayer meeting came to faith by listening to your father on the radio. He did. Yeah, he That's heard awesome. at the end of a broadcast, uh, Dad would invite people to, to make a decision for Christ, and he knelt down by a bale of hay and and said a prayer and and had a moment with God, had an encounter right there in his barn. Oh. Actually heard the word revival, didn't know what that was, so he asked his wife, what's a revival? And she didn't know what it was, so you know, he said, well, I think we're supposed to do that. It's like one of those meeting things, What's we're, we're going to do that in our barn. And uh and so dad showed up, and there was like 400 people at this place. 400 people in a barn. Packed into a barn. And That's something. dad shared the gospel, and over the next four nights, hundreds without of people a, Without came a to microphone. Yeah, that first night, I don't believe there was a sound system or worship or anything. There was just no. So, as a sixth, yeah. sixth grade kid, what do you think of all this? Do you just think it's cool? Or? You know, in the back of the barn, there was a bunch of hay bales piled up, uh, up against the back, and I climbed up on the hay bales, and I just remember vividly sitting there chewing on a piece of hay, watching all these farmers listen to my dad, who didn't need a microphone. He, he was his own sound system. He was just of that school of resonance and frequency. I don't know. It's just this thing. So, so uh, you know, people came forward. They received Jesus. And, uh, and then the Holy Spirit started filling, touching the community in a powerful way. And, and the remnants of that are still all over that community. So every summer we come up and we go to that area and we still do barn revivals. They commemorate the barn revival every year in this past year. Um, we had a few hundred people come out and people came to Christ as they always do. And so it's it's fun. I get to tap barn into my... Barn revival in, is it Ruthton? Ruthton, yeah. Ruthton, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Ruthton, Lake Benton, Marshall, that area. That's okay. awesome. Pipestone. So uh, I, uh, um, I get to tap into my, my inner evangelist. 
Yeah. So. And your dad was an evangelist missionary. He was to Minnesota, mm-hmm. but he's born and raised in Minnesota. He was I all love over the that. lived all over the world, and so I got drug all over the planet. He lived all over the world. Yeah. So what did that look like? Yes. We were always on airplanes, or you know, in something with wheels, and constantly moving. It just. So were you homeschooled, or mm-hmm. how? Did... Yeah. Cool. Most of the time, I was homeschooled up until high school, and then spent a couple of years in school. But yeah, it was a, it was an incredible education because uh, we had, you know, we'd be in Trinidad and Tobago for a little while. We'd be over in, in the Philippines. We'd be in, um, you know, wherever we happen to be in the world. We were always just, you know, traveling somewhere. So to this day, I feel like I'm never more comfortable than when I'm on the move. And so getting up to get on an airplane still excites me, even though I do it all the time. It's just, it's. I feel huh. like there's something something to it where it's happened in my heritage. Mm, it's just who you are. <laughs> That's really neat. That is cool. That is cool. So then you left Minnesota when you were 18, you said? I did. And then I married my childhood sweetheart. So that, she's from Ruston area? No, no. Well? She's from Austin, Texas. And during one of our, our stints going from one place to another, we spent some time in Austin. That became kind of a home base for us for a couple of ah. years. And even though we traveled in and out of Austin, Austin was kind of the hub. And so uh, my next-door neighbor at the time, when I was five years old, was the, the uh, uh, girl who is now the woman who is my wife. So You really Tracy married I, the girl next door. I did, literally married the girl next door. She was, uh, she was five, I was five, and uh, we got married when we were 18, which was crazy when I think about it now. And, uh, and so now we're going on 28 years of marriage. This is coming November 29. Wow, so, wow, that's pretty cool. So we've got two kids, 25 and 23, a son and a daughter, and, and they're both amazing. So, yeah, it's a good, it's a good existence. That is good. Yeah. And Tracy is the, she's the resident writer of the family, although I, I'm, I'm trying to catch up. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you moved to Austin, mm-hmm. and you lived there for quite a while. Yeah. You know, I, when I graduated high school, moved to Austin, Tracy and I get married, and then we went to Dallas to Christ for the Nations. Oh, you did? Because the deal was, I wasn't planning on going into ministry. I was, I was just actually about just, to ask you that. Yeah, I was just, just going to knock out, per my dad's request, knock a couple of years of Bible college out, and then you go off and do whatever you want. And so uh, we go to Christ for the Nations, and during that time I become a youth pastor at a church down there. And, and then one thing leads to another, I end up at a church in Austin. And uh, I'm the youth pastor at the church for about six years, and then the senior pastor leaves, and I take over that church as a senior pastor. That was an Assembly of God church, still there and thriving and doing well. And so, um, so yeah, we spend 12 years in Austin where I'm pastoring, which, you know, for me, that was always going to be, well, I'm, I'll do this for a year, and then I'll go back to school. And uh, that has never happened, actually. <laughs> but Not the here, way you intended, anyway. But yeah, the Lord's been schooling you for a long time. Well, here's, he? here's the way. Here's the way it ended up working. And I feel like this is this is becoming kind of an important part of my message because I, I have a tremendous I have a tremendous heritage that I didn't earn. I just mm-hmm. I just absorbed. Mm-hmm. I didn't earn it. It was just there. Dad would get up in the morning and uh, he would play the Bible on cassette. Um, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., Alexander Scorby, you know, I mean, I can hear these voices the in voices, my sleep. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And uh, so he played the Bible on tape constantly. It just was always playing in our house. He had a love for the Word that was incredible. And so consequently, just by osmosis, I, I just memorized Scripture. Like, 
what I realize now is very unusual amounts of scripture, you know, entire books, chapters, you know, dozens and hundreds of chapters, and that just committed to memory. Dad and I would play this game where he would start a scripture, I'd finish it, and I'd start one, he'd finish it, and we'd see how long we could do this going down the road. So we had a, a motorhome, so uh, Dad would get up and drive, you know, early in the morning, three, four in the morning, he'd get up and drive. And you know, there I am sleeping in a bed, you know, makeshift bed right next to, you know, where he's driving, and he's got, you know, low, but, you know, not to wake everybody up, but he's got the scriptures playing. And so I'd wake up to it. I'd go to sleep to it. It was just, it was a part of my, my existence. And, uh, and I think that's how ministry ended up happening is because I learned the narrative of the Bible. I didn't learn it by, you know, uh, uh, I sat in meetings night after night. That's, you know, that's true. I, I sat and listened to my dad preach every night because he was part of a generation where you go to a church and you wouldn't be there for like one or two nights. You'd be there for three weeks. You know, three-week revivals were kind of the norm back in the day. Two and three weeks, you know. From till late every night. Oh, yeah. Oh, every, every night. No, and it was just a, it was a thing. And churches would schedule these, you know, a month of revival, you know, to, to keep the church alive and thriving. They felt like we need, a, we need our, our revival month, you know. And those months have now been shortened, you know, to where it's, you know, maybe a, maybe a weekend or, a, you know, three or four sessions crammed into a day and a half, you know. So, which is fine, it's just the nature of the way the world is, but here I sit in church night after night, and I'm listening to my dad preach, and I'm listening to the Word of God being preached, but, but I was listening to him as he was sharing insight from the story. For me, the Bible was a story, and I learned the narrative, and then when I would sit and I would hear people preach, and they would, they would preach a sermon that wasn't true to the story. You know, which I learned later on was context, but it's the story. There's a story to it, and it's it's so beautifully intertwined. It's a narrative, and so uh, that's the way I learned it. That's the way I knew the scriptures. That's the way I teach it. It's a story, and so uh, when when I when I hear people teach, you know, there, there's I would say, uh, uh, pastors tell me this all the time. There's a famine for good teaching. There's a there's a biblical illiteracy issue we've got going on where people. Have 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 no connection to the story mm. in a sense, principles, some insights, some revelations, small nuggets, bits and slivers of the story, um, some some maybe spiritual wisdom, you know, and and that's certainly enough to you know connect a person with the heart of God. But actually having a connection with the story, the overall story of the Scripture, the the record of God's covenants with man, that's what I grew up on. So. I always wanted to go, you know, my, my thing was I, I want to earn the right to be heard by an academic community, so I'm going to end up going to Princeton Theological Seminary or Dallas Theological Seminary or, you know, Fuller or wherever it happens to be. Um, somehow, I'm, I'm eventually going to go get my doctorate, and I wanted to teach in, in a university. So, well, to this day, I, I, have, I haven't actually gone back. But the crazy part is that if I had gone to Princeton Theological Seminary, one of my professors would have been a guy named Dr. William Lewis. And Dr. Lewis is the other pastor, the lead pastor of the church that I'm serving in now. <laughs> so every day I get, I get the opportunity to have personal, personal time with a guy who would have been one of, one of my professors. And, and since then, you know, whether I've earned the right or not, just by virtue of the fact that somebody hears a teaching and goes, Okay, I'll, whatever the insight is, you know, can you come in and share that? So I've been invited to teach in some of the universities I would have loved to attend. 
So I've actually been able to lecture in some of these places that, you know, I'm not even qualified to actually attend, mm-hmm. you know, at, at the level of some of the students that I'm teaching. Mm-hmm. That, that's a remarkable thing. But all of that I, I thank my dad for because, again, I didn't Well, and the it. obedience to do it God's way because yeah. the world's way is a different – and it's not always bad. It just isn't what God said is best for you. That's, that wasn't the path he had for you. Yeah. So you, you continue to be obedient to what God was telling you to do, and he gave you everything that was on your heart. I figure when I'm in my fifties or sixties, then I'll then I'll finally go and get my doctorate, and 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 then you know who cares, right? <laughs> <laughs> you could say you have it. <laughs> that's important. So I love that uh, you partner so much with Tracy. Mm-hmm. So that's been part of your whole marriage is ministry. I mean, even your dating. Yeah. yeah. Ministry partners. Yeah, our whole our whole marriage. But she she was. She was the introvert and I was the extrovert. So to get a microphone in front of her was just, that wasn't going to happen. And yet now, you know, she's, I've calmed down a lot and she is, you know, stepped up up a lot. And so we've, we've really balanced each other out. And you said she's a writer. She is. Writing is her, that's her language. She Mm -hmm. loves that. And she's incredibly good at it. And and, uh, so then writing is a part of your background and her background a little bit differently because you worked with Ted Decker. Yeah, Ted is a dear friend, one of the, one of the best friends I have on earth, and uh, we um, we uh, were we were taking a spiritual journey that um, that was really parallel at the time that we wrote uh, the Forgotten Way, which is a devotional that Ted and I wrote together about five six years ago. And um, and the spiritual journey was it, it was a journey of identity and union, and so we we were actually we were on a beach in Belize one day. We were just we had just gone down for the week just to find a place just to go and and crash and have just just a bunch of unexpected, unexplainable adventures. That's kind of the thing with Ted is you know we just get on a plane and just go somewhere. Sounds great. Yeah, let's take a few days and just go and like. You know, in a hammock on a beach somewhere, and just for what? I mean, I don't know. We're just looking out over the ocean. We're playing some worship music, um, talking about the Lord, revelating in the things of God, sharing what we feel like God's saying, and then all of a sudden, stuff starts coming together. We started documenting the spiritual journey that we were on. It was actually our wives that said you should actually, you know, publish this. And so um, I, I didn't know if we we wanted we should publish it. <laughs> I thought it I thought it was. Um, personal? Yeah, yeah, it was in, intensely personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we called it The Forgotten Way, and it, it came down to being what we called the five declarations that turned into 21 meditations. So it was a 21-day meditative journey of identity. And uh, and the, the feedback on it has been I- incredible from people who are actually willing to read the book. Um, uh, it's funny because we, we got labeled as, you know, it's a bunch of new age you know, uh, mumbo jumbo and kind of stuff, which is from people who I don't think ever actually read the book. Um, so, so, but if people were willing to actually take the journey of it, they they would find, they would find uh, the revelation. I, I think it would lead you to this conclusion that you are one with God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and He did that. Come on. And what would be the ramifications if we actually surrendered to believe that to be true? That there's no distance and no separation between you and God, like right now. And I'm not striving to to get somewhere. I'm surrendering to be where I've always been. And uh, and the one journey that you have in this life 
is to find out what God believes about you and agree with it. Mm-hmm. And That's good. The yeah. one journey you have in this life is to find out what God believes in you and about you and agree yeah. with it. I love that. That's a great. That's one. kind of been your journey. That has. Yeah, yeah, to figure out who you are and agree with yeah. what God says. Yeah, and it's and when I stopped when I let go of the need to find out who I am, and and I just you know he said Jesus says you know I'm going to manifest myself to you, so that was it. It was like okay, I, I don't care about seeing me anymore. I live with me. I, I'm, I've had enough of that. I want to see you. Well, you know, a, a revelation of Him becomes a revelation of you because you're made in His image and likeness. So we don't know who we are without seeing Him. And that, that's been the journey I've been on, is just this consistent beholding. And uh, yeah, it continues. That's great. So what do you say to someone? I mean, I love what you're saying. That's yes. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. resounding yes for me. But what do you say to someone who you know, maybe grew up in the church and their understanding of Christianity or understanding how to be a good Christian um, it looks so different than just identity and rest and union with Christ. Where does that begin? How do you start that journey of of living from union instead of trying to be the best version you can? Does that, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You have to let go of all that you think you know to be who you are. There's a, a tremendous value in learning the art of unlearning. You know, I've, I've found that unlearning is very uncomfortable, you know, uh, but I found it to be one of the greatest pleasures. You know, unlearning is, is if, if, I, if I grew up with a particular tradition that says, well, you know, let's, let's take an example that everybody can relate to. If I grew up with a particular tradition that says, you say this prayer and then you're saved. Okay. Mm-hmm. What happens if I look for the prayer in the Bible? Because I'm not sure if I said it the right way. I just want to make sure I got it right. And I can't find it. Well, now I have a problem because it's not there. Right. So where'd it come from? And, and did the person that told me the prayer get it right? Or is there a better prayer? You know? And maybe things felt right when I first said it. Like I, f- I felt clean or pure or righteous and holy for like 10 minutes. And then the first time I have a lousy thought, I got to go say the prayer again. Right. In first century Christianity, if you asked people, and you, this bears out in some of the earliest writings of the church, if you ask people, how did you get saved? Or how did, how did you come to salvation? How did salvation come to you? You would get uh, a phrase that would begin with, well, Jesus, or Christ did this, whatever. There's, what, 18 sermons in the book of Acts, and they're all about Jesus. All of them. Fast forward 2,000 years, and you, you ask any Christian from any denomination, tell me about salvation. How did you get saved? And it will typically be, begin with this phrase, I. I, yeah. Somewhere along the line, it shifted from what Christ did yeah. to what we do. And um, while I think our, our efforts linked to surrender carry tremendous results, because when I make a decision, if I surrender to, to say yes to Jesus, then, then the salvation that he paid for 2,000 years ago, it's already been mine, been mine all along. It belongs to me. You know, uh, it... it, it it becomes manifest to me. I get to actually step into the fruit of the covenant. It's me saying I do to the other side of the marriage equation. He said I do 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's the eternal I do of heaven over humanity. So now, I say I do back. Yes, I get to step into the fruit of that covenant. But it's nothing I did, you know? And, and so, um, 
that's part of the unlearning process. You know, fundamental, fundamentalist evangelical Christianity tells us what we have to do right. to get close to God. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, but the one thing that separates the message of Jesus from everything else is that he came to reveal what God did to get close to us. Right. And, uh, and, and for me as a, as a minister, you know, the challenge was always, you know, what, what's my challenge to people going to be this week? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I tell them to do this week? How am I going to keep motivated? Right, motivation. It's, it's motivation Absolutely. versus inspiration, I think. Yeah. Because motivation kind of comes out of your soul. Anybody yeah. can motivate. Anybody that can think well and can, has got forcefulness of soul can motivate. And that's right. not horrible. But if it's not submitted to heaven and you're not getting the inspiration from heaven, it's just something that people give you. Right. And I would say, uh, I would say it even apart from inspiration, I would say revelation. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not inactivity. Revelation is very experiential. But, mm-hmm. you know, I can look at a. Uh, a friend of mine, Banning Liebscher, has this great illustration I wish I'd have thought of, but I can look at a boxer on TV and um, and Banning would say, you know, I can look at this boxer and I can say, wow, that guy hits really hard and that's information. But if I step into the ring and that roundhouse, you know, a right hook connects with my head, I get up off the, you know, when I can eat solid food again, I say the same exact phrase. That guy hits really hard. And one is spoken from information, the other one is revelation. So there is something experiential about revelation when it comes to you. That's part of the unlearning process right. because so much of our, our faith, I think, especially in Western Christianity, is linked to just an intellectual understanding. I hear a message, I agree with it, I say amen, I turn around and walk away. But an Eastern, you know, uh, <laughs> an Eastern definition of understanding required you to actually do something. I mean, I have to actually have the experience of this in order to even claim to understand it. Mm-hmm. An intellectual ascent is only an invitation into an experience. And I think so many, uh, for a lot of Christians maybe, and, and for me for, for many years, my faith was what I would call a house of cards. In other words, it looked really beautiful and it was carefully constructed and put together, but you couldn't put any weight on it. At least I didn't think you could, and I certainly wasn't about to try. In other words, I could believe that Jesus healed. That was one of my cards. But I wasn't going to pray for anybody because if he didn't heal, well, you pull that card out, the entire house comes tumbling yeah. down. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of, I would say there's a lot of people who grew up in a, in a world where there was never any demand put upon what you claim to believe, at least hang your whole life on. And I think when the gospel hits you, it's like turning a fan on in a room full of card houses. I mean, you just you find yourself. And that can be very terrifying for people when you've built your life on that and your all of your faith on that, and then the wind comes and blows your house of cards away. Absolutely. I mean, all of the disciples, all the disciples who survived beyond the beyond the resurrection of Christ, knew that Jesus had defeated death believed in the power of the resurrection and with the exception of John all went to their deaths you know um, that that could be a little disheartening mm-hmm. you know Hebrews 11 the Hall of Fame of faith all of these died without having seen you know, received the promise in a sense and they saw multi-dimensionally into another dimension into another existence that what they had hoped for in a sense was already theirs but they lived in this world pursuing it, as if it was still yet to come, yeah. but living as though they had already attained it. And that's it. the revelation because they knew it. They really right. they had experienced that in a way without having lived it in the present time. That's the only Absolutely. way you do that is with God's revelation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, and it, 
in order to in order to learn a new revelation, say like that, almost always requires that you unlearn an old one. Mm-hmm. So, so whenever I'm you know talking to people who've come out of years and years and years of traditional teaching, much of which is really really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, again, I'm not saying that it's that it's wrong. What I'm saying is that truth comes in layers. You know, it's that layered truth where God establishes something in our life and then He builds upon it. And adds to it. And it's like, okay, now that you've got that, let me take you someplace completely different. And that holds weight. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. 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 Do you find that as you talk um, like this in different settings and mm-hmm. people, you're, you're unpacking people's stuff and you're blowing on their house of cards, that fear rises up in them? How do you counsel them? to handle that fear? What do you do with that fear of being misled? I think that, because that was part of my journey, I think we talked about that a little yeah. bit, that coming out of a very traditional religious background, there were some good truths that I learned, but mm. there was this huge fear I grew up with that if I get it wrong, I'm gonna be in so much trouble with God. I hope this answer makes sense, um, but I take responsibility for that. And, and um, as, as the communicator, I take I take responsibility for it. I teach a an online uh, e course called the Quantum Preaching Masterclass. Actually, Bill, I've done it. You have. I have. You did it. <laughs> I've done it. Are you? You're I a student. It. Come on. Well, I finished it, but Come I didn't on. post my preaching online. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But <laughs> I finished the class, and I loved the That's class. That's awesome. Okay, I so do you, the class. So you remember then? I believe it's lesson five. Um, that gives you the way that you kill the fear of public speaking, which is to love your message and love your audience. Because if you love your message and love your audience, you're focused on helping and not impressing people. That's good. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, and there's a lot of nuances to this, but let me jump to the end. When I, when I get up to minister, um, that's the two things, the perfect love that casts out fear. It comes from the person that's actually releasing the message. You love the message and you love the people, you know. And I've known I've known people. I go to conferences all the time, speaking with people in conferences, and you know you see people that get up and they do this, you know, day after day after day, and they love their message, hmm. but they don't love the audience. <laughs> it's like they don't. That's love really the hard because you're tired and you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It is hard, yeah. And people are challenging. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and you can still put a demand on the message and walk away feeling like you got some insight, but but you know, there's there's still a little something you're like, hmm, that's that was interesting. Um, but then there's people who love the people or the audience, but they don't really they haven't really developed a message enough to where they they have an affection for what they're about, I mean, a real. An expertise, a command, an affection uh, 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 of what they're about to release, you know. So they just love the people, and that actually works sometimes. You know, uh, people may not take any notes on what you said, but they'll feel loved, <laughs> and you know, you made them yeah. feel great, and you maybe ministered to them, and you be- became a conduit for the, the goodness and the grace of God. Yeah. So they'll walk away feeling, you know, warm in their heart, but in their mind, there's there's not really any revelation that they can take and just walk. so so it's a combination of the two things together, and I think when those two things exist, and you get into a room where where somebody is intentional and purposeful about being a conduit of a message that they love to a people that they they genuinely look at and go, wow, these people are creating the image and likeness of God. Each one is a facet of this singular diamond that is mankind and humanity and 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 they shine with the uniqueness of heaven and 
each one of them has a story and it's redeemable and it's beautiful and no matter what you know the scars are that they carried into this room tonight you know there's healing that can come in this moment and you just feel that and it's like uh, and there's something that happens i mean in my in my in 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 my experience there's something that happens in a room where the fear whether it's religious you know fear from for, oh you're threatening my tradition i, I don't want to do that i i really i feel like your tradition's beautiful. It's a wonderful part of your story, just mm-hmm. as mine is a part of my story. But you know, let's let's unlearn some things that are that are old right. and, and 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 settled in us, and let's learn some new things. You know, that God wants to show us. Right. We, we yeah. haven't arrived, you know, to the to the finish of this journey yet. Right. And uh, I want to know more. You know, so I'm looking for a scripture. Maybe you can look. It up for me while you. I just think that's so awesome that that you're a QP student. That's that's great. I I really did love that course. We really need we need your videos. Well, and um, (laughs) it's such a challenge, and it's such a thing I've had to overcome because I think we talked about my background. Women Mm -hmm. don't do this, and so for me to be preaching any criticism, I just still am working on dealing with it. Like people aren't always going to like what I say. Right. But yes, love the message and love the people. And you know what the Lord showed me about that is. Uh, in I think it's in First Chronicles, it talks about David un- was established and understood that God had made him the king over Israel. I mean, yeah. God put him there, and it was for the benefit of the people that He put under Him. And what I what I realized is, okay, God established where you are as a leader. Any leader, when we know that God's established us, and everybody's a leader in some aspect. So when you get in your heart, God put you there. God's established you there. He's got your back. You haven't weaseled your way into this, and and like when God figures out that you you're doing this, He's going to be mad at you. He's established you. Take the you keys there. away from you. Yeah. Huh? What are you doing He'll driving take, that yeah, car? Yeah. What are you doing driving that car? But uh, I, did you find the I verse? I did. It's First Chronicles fourteen two. It says, "And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, mm-hmm. and that his kingdom had been highly exalted for the sake of his people Israel." Yeah, I love that. It's there's, for the people. There's a. There's a uh, I think it's. I think it's a King James translation that said, and David perceived that he was king. In other words, suddenly he has this awareness. You know, he knows he's king when he when he kneels before Samuel as a boy mm. and feels the oil and hears the voice. And he knows he's king when he's facing the giant. He knows he's king when Saul's chunking spears at his head. And he knows he's king when he's acting mad in the presence of the Philistines. He knows he's king when his men want to kill him. And he turns and strengthens himself in the Lord. And he knows all of these... He's just continuing to stumble toward the throne, you know, yeah. descending to greatness. But he doesn't and rush to get there because he, he already has his identity proved inside of him, so he doesn't need an outward symbol. He doesn't need the throne to sit on. To, and, to, and then yeah. after he has the crown, yeah. a challenge comes to him, and he's still. It's not, not enough to just have the crown. He perceives that he's a king. That's yeah. a, amazing. There's a, a friend of mine named Dale Mast wrote a book uh, on this called And David Perceived That He Was King. Mm. And oh. it basically is just this consistent thing of whether you have the crown or not. The word of the Lord is what establishes your identity. Yeah, come on. And you know, and some pastors, it's like oh, I want to be a pastor, and then the church votes you in, but you still don't feel like a pastor. CEOs actually get this a lot. They call it acute imposter syndrome. Yes, mm-hmm. where you don't yes. feel worthy to be where you are, and so even after you've attained the title, you still have to stop and go, wait a minute, this is who I am because of not right. because of that I've been hired to do this because God said this is this is who I am to be. Right. And I believe that's a point where everybody walks in their destiny and you can only walk your destiny out when you you are 
grounded and you are sure of who you are. And then you can help other people be who they are without fear that I'm going to be a nobody someday. I'm going to get put on the shelf and ignored someday. That's crazy because you won't. If God's got you, he's got you every day of your life. And you surrender to what he says, then nobody can threaten that. Nobody can right. take that. But it yeah. doesn't necessarily always play out the way I would want it to be. Right. <laughs> That's a thing that is hard what? to work with. Like, wait a minute, God. What are we right. doing here? But it is always good, and he's always got my back. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it frees up so much energy and capacity if you can rest in, what, in who God says you are instead of having to prove it to yourself and to others all the time. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> I asked the Lord in the year 2020, what are you doing, Lord? I just I – just, I mean – Sometimes you just ask God questions, and he right. tells you stuff. It's the greatest thing. <laughs> right. And he said, uh, it's about Ezekiel 2020. Wow. I'm like, all right. And so I'm, I don't know what Ezekiel 2020 is. So, I mean, I, I should. You probably uh-huh. would because you've memorized the whole Bible. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. But it is uh, about the Sabbath. And basically, mm-hmm. Rebecca's got it. You want to read it? It says, keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between us. Then you will yeah. know that I am the Lord your God. So good. And what he told me this this year, this going into 2020, is about knowing how to do sabbath every moment of our life yeah. it's not just taking sunday off right that's certainly not what the sabbath is about right. it's about resting every moment of your life and knowing he's god and it'll be a sign between me and god that he's god i mean right. he knows he's god but i forget he's god and sometimes i think i've got to help him out or i've got to take over or i've got to do something and having a, a sabbath lifestyle is resting in the realization that i don't know how this is going to work out god but you got a plan. So, yeah. what's your plan here? And what's my part to do? I'll do what you ask me to do. But other than that, I'm resting. Yeah. In the kingdom of God, uh, what moment is not Sabbath? Right. <laughs> yeah. People of the kingdom. So, we're, but we we're don't know rest. how to do that. Yeah. And I think He's teaching yeah. the body of Christ about how to do that. Mm. Every moment of our life is a Sabbath. So good. It, it takes so much trust to yeah. let the Lord do things in His timing. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we are, I mean, we're Americans. We are go-getters, we're doers, we can build whatever we want, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we do it. And we compare ourselves to how that journey yeah. went. My journey must somehow compare so to that, when, or I'm a failure, or I'm, I've missed it. Or right, so when you have that uh, understanding of your identity, but you're waiting on the Lord's timing for it to be unveiled, or because He's actually taking you through processes and making you able to withstand all the things that He wants to pour on you, it's so tempting to run ahead. And to yeah. just make it happen to do it. And the trust that is required to step back and let the, the Lord do things in His timing and His way, I don't know that it has been modeled too often for us. I really feel like this generation, and right now, and the Lord's really breathing on this uh, corporately throughout the body of Christ, He's like, do it my way and I'll show you what, what can happen. And I think there won't be burnout, there won't be some of the crazy ends and flameouts that happen to so many people who are running so hard for so long, and more will be accomplished through yeah. the rest of the Lord than yeah. through doing it our own way. Amen. But it's scary to not do. It feels And you don't it feels know what's so happening next, and you're not 100% oh, yeah. sure where you're headed. Like, okay, I know there's this out there, but I don't know what the rest of it is. Yeah. I remember being in college, and they had you write out your, your one, three, five-year plan. And way back then, when I didn't know I was hearing from the Lord, I was hearing from the Lord, and he, he kind of said, yeah, you can put it down. <laughs> you can have a plan, but it's going to go my way. Right. And he consistently, I mean, I was just in, in Washington, D.C., and, and we had a plan that we were going to go in the White House and pray. I mean, come on. You know, we got to get in there, get our feet in there. We're just going to pray through the White House. So I scheduled seven of us. We had to get in our IDs months ahead of time. 
And, I mean, you give them your social security number, they do a full background. They're going to let you in the White House. You're going to be checked out. And they said, make sure to bring your ID because you aren't getting in without your passport or your driver's license. Okay, can't be a copy. has to be the real thing. So I'm making sure everybody's got their ID. We're getting in there. And we are blocked from the White House. And I realize I put my driver's license in a different spot when I got on the plane, and it's not with me. And I'm thinking, no, that can't be right. So I, I go in <laughs> and I look at it, and uh, I, I look for it. I don't have my I don't have my driver's license. So I frantically called Gary and said, "Would you please send me my pa- picture of my passport? I mean, maybe I'll cry and talk <laughs> this guard into letting me in or something." But we stand in line and we get through everything. We've got our little pass that says you get in, but you only get so far. And they got all these people with their flak suits on and the rifles, and you got to show your your ID and I tell him the whole story and he's like sorry ma'am you're not going in <laughs> and I'm like man this makes me mad and I felt so stupid as a leader how did everybody else I, everybody else got in and and so I'm like I kind of pouting so I went to a tea shop I love tea so I went to a tea shop got a cup of tea and I thought well what am I going to do there in there I may as well prayer walk around the outside of the the White House so I go in with my teacup, and I'm prayer walking around the outside of the White House, and I'm watching all the people. It's really something. I mean, the, the Secret Service people are watching you. You can just see them as they're watching you go around. And um, so I just I said, Lord, what in the world is this all about? And he said, I wanted what you all carried inside the White House and outside the White House at the same time. They're praying in there. You're praying out here. You've got it surrounded. Love that. Like, that's beautiful. What a good idea. And that wasn't my plan. My plan was I want to be in there when they're in there. Right. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's the, kind of the story of my life. Is And the and, and Lord always kind of laughs and says, guess who's really in charge? Yeah. You know, it's like he's still, I'm much older than I was in college, and he continues to have to teach me. You can have plans, and that's not bad, yeah. but I'm the one who's really in charge. So, so I think good. your story of how you <laughs> – so you lived in, in Austin, mm-hmm. and then you moved to Orlando the first time. Well, we moved to Hawaii first. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. right. Oh, this yeah. is an awesome opportunity. Yeah, Tell that. them what you did in Hawaii. I was an underwater videographer. and uh, yeah. This and guy's not yes, boring. Please. Yes, yeah, it please. Yes, please. That sounds awesome. It was a fun world. And uh, I would, you know, dive with sharks, you know many days a week and then preach the gospel the rest of the time so then we started a school of ministry oh that sounds great let it, me know uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was absolutely <laughs> wow it was an amazing existence it was it was the most uh, one of the most fulfilling things i've ever done and uh uh yeah and so so we did that um for a year uh came back to the mainland united states and i'm uh, not really sure what god was doing um, my dad had a stroke in early 2008, and so we were taking care of him back in Austin again, into pastoring a church, uh, pastoring at a church there in Austin again. So overall, pastored three different churches in Austin, Texas. So I think I hit my quota. Uh, I think there's like a law that you can't pastor more than three churches in one city in Texas or something. I don't know. Just made that up. Anyhow, um, yeah, and then and then God took us to Florida, and. Uh, we owned a restaurant for a little while. Can you believe what he's and all done? It's wild. Yes. And then we came back to back for, to Austin. For a year in for we a did year that. you owned yeah. the restaurant. And then we came back to Florida. Uh, came back to, to Austin, led another school of ministry there, co pastored a church. And um, and then when Ted and I wrote this book together, uh, our kids had moved off to Florida and so we, we became those parents that followed their children. <laughs> and so 
back to Florida we are. And, th- and then we're in Florida, and I had no intention of pastoring a church in Florida, but I ran into the pastor of the Presbyterian Church, the Disney Church. Um, and, but when you were looking at the neighborhood, your wife declared some things. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was like eight years ago. We were driving through the neighborhood that we live in now. Uh-huh. Turned down the street, Mulberry. She always wanted to live on like a Mulberry Avenue. You know, it's kind of ideal. And there's like English row houses on one side and, and this church on the other. Like Mary Poppins. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we call it, the Mary Poppins neighborhood. Yep. And uh, yeah. And so uh, um, the uh, she's looking out one window. I'm looking out the other. And she looks over and says, I could live there. And she points to this one unit. And I said, fine, we'll live there. And I'll just pastor at this church over here. And so... That's where we live now, and that's what I do. So <laughs> that's great. You know, I love it. God love, takes seriously some of the things we joke about, uh-huh. and uh, it's yep. fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It is. That's really. Fun. It is. Wow. Uh, and so Tracy is the writer, and she wrote mm-hmm. a well. She you wrote a book together, kids' books. A few yeah, we wrote them. a series of kids' books together. It was just kind of a fun project that uh, that actually we had the idea for in the middle of the night one time, <laughs> and it just it just materialized. So now there's. I think there's three of them now, and it's called Life with Lummox. Lummox being like a lumbering ox. And the character of Lummox is inspired by, oddly enough, things that I've done in my life. So uh, all of the weird mistakes, mishaps, and clumsy clumsy mess-ups uh, I, I, I can firsthand vouch for. And so I, I know where she gets her inspiration. So <laughs> I, did the, I did the artwork for it, and she does the... Uh, so you're an artist, too. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. So I do the artwork for it, and she does the writing for it. And then she's she's written a couple of novels, The Porches of Holly and The Windows of Holly. And The Porch is actually being made into a movie right now. So Very cool. Yeah, the yeah they're in pre-production. So it's very, very cool to see that coming. And, and that's I don't have anything to do with that at all. I'm just sitting back and watching that and just proud this can be of her. She's just done this all on her own and, and uh, found a producer and the whole thing. And, and uh, this uh, dear friend's... People who've become dear friends of ours. He uh, 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 works for Disney, actually, and and uh, he read the book. And he and his wife, their marriage was really on the rocks. And and he read this book, and it's and it's a novel. It's not it's not about restoring marriages, but it that that's part of the story. And uh, and so he reads this this novel, uh, and he just weeps through this thing. Mm-hmm. And God touches his heart, and he and his wife have this beautiful reconciliation. He says, "I want to make this into a movie." So he contacted her and and got the ball rolling on it. So wow, back fun. to the power of story on that. Yeah, yeah, fun. So so she's had some real great success with, with her books. I'm real proud of her. And then the book she wrote after she had a car accident. Yeah, she had a car accident a few years ago, and she had um, some internal injuries that were continuing to just be chronically, you um, uh, just pain just constantly. And so uh, she, f- she felt as though God was giving her a prayer. And she just wrote this prayer down line by line. But then she would de- declare it over herself. And it just added to it daily until it took about a half an hour to actually read all the way through. And she felt like it was really important for her to say it, speak it over herself. And I, it, in the morning, I'd be downstairs or whatever. I'd hear upstairs. I'd hear her like declaring over herself, you know, body, you are more inclined to be well than you are to be sick. You know, Amen. Um, things like it just and Come it just on. goes on and on. Yeah. These declarations over her body, and little by little, the pain went away. Pretty soon, one day, she realized she was pain free. So she put it into a book and put it out there, and it's really taken off. It's a, and it's a fascinating little read. It's a very short, you know, short read, but it's um, 
there's power behind it and it's not that there's it's not that there's some formula to the words but there's something about speaking declarations over yourself and sometimes we don't know where to start and especially when it comes to blessing ourselves we're very that's a foreign concept to us mm -hmm. i mean we have no problem feeling good about ourselves self-esteem is a big deal for americans right but actually speaking blessing over yourself declaring things over yourself that god would say amen to we don't mind blessing each other but but speaking words over ourself i think one of the things that the body of christ has got has, has got a bit of a uh, a learning curve on is we're really good at blessing others mm. but then we curse curse ourselves mm -hmm. and so it's almost like and we the power can power of words is oh yeah big yeah and we can undo yeah it, yeah. in a sense um everything being spoken over us you know it's like we just cancel it out and we call it humility it's like <laughs> i'm just being humble i don't want to be proud so we bless everybody else and then we just like curse us and and again this isn't there's nothing proud or or not being humble about this it's just it's just recognizing okay this is what i was created for mm -hmm. and reminding your body it's yeah. it's david saying why are you so downcast O my soul put mm -hmm. your hope in god or bless the lord O my soul and all that's with him he bless his holy name he's talking to himself you know mm -hmm. and so that's really what it is it's a psalm of self-talk um that is that is rooted in the in the word of god and uh and the effect of it is fascinating it's powerful so I think you get the same effect by speaking the psalms over yourself. You yeah, know, some of the psalms. Yeah, some of them are pretty. So rough, I was gonna say, but you know, some, some are you know yeah. not all of them. A little but, you know. choosy. <laughs> and her book is called Soul Reformation: The Whole Wholeness, Wholeness for the Body for the Body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, that's it's awesome. a fun book. Cool. Well, this has been delightful talking with you. I love it. I love it. And so what we like to do is have you bless our listeners so that as they are listening, that they can get some impartation from you and I what you that. carry so would you be willing to do that for I, us? I love that yes yeah yeah but actually before you do that um mm -hmm. we've been speaking with bill vanderbush and you can find out more about him at billvanderbush.com uh, v-a-n-d-e-r-b-u-s-h and uh, his books are on amazon uh worthwhile good reads and you have a podcast yourself i do so it comes out every week okay what's that called you just go to Bill Vanderbush or Faith Mountain Ministries. You go to, if you go to BillVanderbush.com, you can link to the podcast on the podcast page. And so, Faith yeah. Mountain Ministries, that's his dad's ministry. Mm -hmm. So it's carrying Very on cool. a good that was inheritance. My, my inheritance yeah. so, from dad. Very cool. So, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, well, Lord, we just declare over every person listening today, Lord, that they have the mind of Christ. They have access to your thoughts. And God, what you think about them is beyond what they could even begin to imagine. Lord, you've been singing over us, you've been declaring over us since before the foundation of the world. And so, Lord, we surrender to come into agreement with what you say. Lord, to drop every lie, every label that we've believed about ourselves, every scar that life has inflicted on our soul, every, every moment of regret where we've been broken on the wheels of living. God, we lay it all down and we let it all go. And we step into the redemptive reality that you have reconciled us and you've redeemed us and you've called us by name. You know us by name. And you are intent on bringing us to a completion. The completion of the fact that you have started a good work in us and you're going to be faithful to complete it. And we just rest in what you're doing. And God, I pray for every person listening to this podcast today. Lord, as, it, as they surrender to believe what you believe about them, that healing would come to their bodies. God, that pain would go, 
that every disease and affliction would bow its knee to the name that is above all names. And God, that, that the prophetic call on those listening today would be ignited where they begin to hear your voice uniquely and clearly. God, that they would perceive your presence in a very real way. Lord, that, the, that they would uh, embrace the beautiful gift of unlearning. Lord, especially those things that have caused us to, to go blind to what you're saying and doing in our day. Lord, I know that you're, you're still intent on, on bringing, uh, bringing me to a place of awe and wonder. Just when I think I've seen it all, you do something new. You're always doing something new. So Lord, I thank you. I thank you for making, making us uh, an invitation to be children again. God, we just rest in that childlike, childlike heart, that childlike mind, that childlikeness. God, we just, just simply rest in you, rest in your presence. And Father, I pray that you would stir in us a hunger by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would stir in us a freshness of hunger for more. God, even though we have all of you, I know there's more. And I don't fully understand or even grasp what I just said, God, but I know that there's a hunger and it's not based in lack, it's based on the reality that we've tasted and we've seen that you are good and we want more. So, Lord, we thank you for a life of overflow. I thank you, God, for a, a, a just a new day, a new day and a fresh hope. And, Lord, if there's any listening to this podcast today who listened with a sense of complete hopelessness and despair, saying, if I don't find hope in this podcast, I'm done with this thing called life. I speak life into them. And I break all doubt and unbelief and fear and death off. And I just say life, abundance of life, that you're not alone. There's no distance, no separation between you and your heavenly Father. But according to 1 Corinthians 1.30, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, if there's any listening to this podcast today who haven't taken that step, who don't know that, who haven't surrendered to say yes to you, Lord, I pray today, right now, from their heart, in whatever way that they can find language to do so, may, may they all say yes. May we all say yes to you. Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness and for bringing wholeness to every person listening to this, this podcast today. And I bless this ministry, Lord. Let Dare to Believe become uh, an epicenter for revival in this region and in this area, igniting the Midwest with the fires of revival and redigging wells that have they've been stopped up by religion, stopped up by tradition. God, I pray that, uh, that this would continue to be a ministry of freedom. Thank you, Jesus. For ministry training centers who teach us how to manage our freedom, the freedom that you gave us so freely. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I pray just a fresh anointing upon this ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <laughs> Receive all yes, of that. Lord. Wow. <laughs> so we've been talking with Bill Vanderbush. You can find him online. He's Ooh. got lots of stuff. That was fun. That was fun. That's <laughs> wow. good stuff. Yeah, Thanks goodness. so much. So bless you, Bill. Here. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you for listening to our Dare to Believe podcast. When I challenge each one of our listeners to dare to believe God for greater things in your life this season. Amen. And we'd also love it if you would subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating, as well as share this with friends, colleagues, whoever would be encouraged by this message. 
Thank you so much, listeners. 